Hey everybody, long time no see. Welcome back. On this episode of Reckless Digest, Taylor Swift tried her favorite pastime, it. Mariah Carey remains iconic. I've got a lot of pet peeves to share. And I also take you on a virtual shoe shopping excursion where we find the perfect shoe for when I put my foot on these bitches necks. And I'm not letting up. Let's start the show. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Reckless Digest. I am your host, Patrick Coda, also known as Aquafina Dream in your father's phone, also known as Dasani Decadence in your brother's phone. It's self-explanatory, really. Um, welcome back. We are now on episode 14, which is super exciting. And like, I know I say that in every episode, but it really is both exciting and surprising that like, I'm still doing this. <laughs> so it's, it's still a thing. So yay. Um, some quick announcements before we get into the icebreaker portion of the show. Similar to how it wasn't in the last episode, Pacific Rim will not be in this episode. It will hopefully be in episode 15. I say hopefully because I don't know what I'm doing with that segment and it showing up will likely be just as much of a surprise as much of a surprise as an episode dropping period. So look forward to that. Unpopular Opinions will also not be in this episode, but it will likely be in episode 15. Um, Spotify has officially taken over 50% of my listener base. It's like 55% or something like that. 55% of people who listen, listen on Spotify. So again, friends of the family, if you listen on Spotify or any platform other than Anchor, please be sure to play the episode and download it. That's how my listens attract outside of Anchor. I appreciate that so much. And I definitely love what you have on right now. It looks really nice on you. Super cute. Anyway, this also means that over half of y'all are not hearing the musical inserts I put into the show. Like the interlude music and stuff y'all can hear, but not the copyright stuff. The little stuff that I put from the top five playlists in between and things like that. Um, You can't hear it like you can on Anchor. But it's all good because I'm working on figuring out different types of like sound bites and audio things. So hopefully I can find something to replace it that keeps with the essence of the show. So just be patient with me. Um, Last announcement. We've officially reached 200 listens for the podcast as a whole. Well, it's like over 200 at this point. Um, And while that number might not seem like a whole lot, because it's not, um, I'm still very proud of it. Starting out only getting like three to four listens per episode to now have 200. It's something that I'm proud of, Um, especially since it took me 11 full episodes to get to 100 plays um and after episode 11 we managed to get to 200 in just two episodes so thank you to everyone who's taken the time to listen thank you to everyone who's gone back and for some reason some reason tortured yourself with old episodes thank you to anyone who's had nice things to say or even critiques i appreciate all of it um we're celebrating the small things that's what we're doing in 2019 um also I want to give a little bit of depth to the title of this episode. I swear we're about to get into the icebreaker portion. I swear. But I want to give a little bit of an explanation for the epi- the title of the episode because it's special to me. So I've been saying season of hurt feelings for a few years now. And it's honestly one of my favorite seasons when it comes around. I'll explain. The season of hurt feelings can be in any physical, se- any physical season 
that's winter, spring, summer, or fall, any of those. And it's basically any time in your life where you're getting your shit together, kind of like a glow up season. Say you've lost some weight or you just started back exercising or you got a new job or you finally started taking care of your skin or you finally got into therapy, which is pending for your boy, or you've been just more productive than usual, any of these positive things. So the season of hurt feelings is characterized by the glow up in your life and the hurt feelings that are going to follow. Hurt feelings from people who wasted your time, led you on, counted you out, doubted you, any of those things. All of those people have to now see you not walk, but stomp through this lit ass season in your life. And you being the very selective HMO insurance plan that you are, you don't cover any treatment for them. So they're just going to have to be sick. They're just going to have to be mad about it and have hurt feelings. And it is what it is. The season is imminent. Fair warning. Now, now let's discuss my week. So bitch, I'm tired. (laughs) Like I... I, oh, I'm exhausted. My bones crack at the thought of moving. No movement is required, just cracking. Um, so in the last episode, I mentioned how I got approved for a remote desktop to do overtime on the weekends and also work from home. Um, well, I finally was able to bring it home and I've been working over the weekends for almost three weeks now. It's lit. It's everything there's something magical about me being able to roll over at 6 55 in the morning in my pajama pants in my pajama pants plug in my desktop and clock in at seven i just and like i said all of this while i'm in my pajama pants in my pajama pants i'm blasting janae Ico through my speaker like i'm an introvert so i don't like being around or talking to people as it is so the fact that i'm able to not even leave my room while getting paid like a bitch just gets emotional thinking about it because I've been through so much with you niggas and having to talk to people and I'm finally getting what I'm, I'm doing a lot. Um, it's lit. I love it. I save on gas. I don't have to worry about my khaki slaps um, being ripped at the thigh again from my thighs rubbing together, which just happened again. Or about random conversations. Um, I don't have to worry about none of that. I sit up in my room. I play orchestra music. Or I play Megan Thee Stallion. And I just live my life. And I I really, really enjoy it. It's just, it's something magical about it. However, it does come at a price. Working from home essentially means that the 13th Amendment is annulled for me. And I've effectively signed myself back into slavery. Working on the weekends, Saturdays at the least, is expected since we have the convenience of working from home, which is which is fair, I guess. I, however, either do the least or the most in all situations. Do it all the time. Do it all do or do none. So I now work seven days a week, Sunday to Sunday. I work 10 hours a day during the week, and then I work four hours Saturday and four hours on Sunday. I usually start like early in the morning on the weekend. So essentially I still have my weekends to relax kind of sorta. Now is this schedule maintainable for the long run? Most likely not, but my job is currently putting my name on checks with any amount of hours that I work. And like I detail in my pending novel debut, the secret life of a broke bitch. I've been broke in four different States. That's Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, and then California. I'm trying to avoid that at all costs. So if I have to be uncomfortable for a bit of time, then that's fine. What's not fine is as a result of all these damn hours that I work, my schedule has been all over the place. I'm having to fight to etch in time for stuff like writing and recording for the podcast or exercise or low key any goddamn thing. It 
it really feels like there's not enough hours in the day. And when I take time to do things I like to de-stress and relax, a voice is always in the back of my mind like, bitch, this is a waste of time. And you could be doing this and this and this, which is true. But also, I feel like I should be able to have a second to breathe. I uh, I don't know. But it's it's so... It's also forced me to take more consideration into like how I manage my time, which is a good thing, I guess. I don't know. I'm just I'm honestly still trying to find a good medium because on one hand, I want to pull back a bit on my hours to make time for the podcast and other things I enjoy. But then on the other hand, I want to purchase a new mic for the podcast and maybe some other audio stuff. I got a trip possibly that I'm trying to go on. My mother has been on my ass about trademarking this podcast and other stuff that I want to do and spend money on. And that all costs what? Money. So I don't know. I feel like I'll figure it out. Um, and lastly, before we get into the top five playlists for the week, a trip is imminent, like I just mentioned, um, because it's what I deserve. Uh, I don't think I've ever been on an actual vacation that wasn't Gulfport, Mississippi, so I'm planning to take one soon. Video possibly coming to YouTube. I'll keep y'all updated. Now, top five playlists for the episode, honorable mention, Lizzo, like a girl from her Cuz I Love You album that came out at this point, like almost two months ago. Um... This is probably my favorite song off the album. Certified Bop, it's everything. The album itself is actually pretty good. Um, I think there's only like a few songs off of it that I didn't like. So I enjoyed it. Shout out to Lizzo. Um, so getting into the actual playlist, number five is going to go to Dina Jane. Heard it all before. Um, none of the Fifth Harmony girls have really given me anything I enjoy solo. So this song was a surprise, especially since it seems like the early 2000s sound is coming back into popular music, which I never thought would happen since it's such a mismatch or a mixed match of sounds, much like the styling was a mixed match of fabrics and prints. I like the song, though. Number four, Beyonce sorry the demo version so three years after the fact beyonce finally released her lemonade album to major streaming platforms other than title and we got the sorry demo as a result i love how mellow it is in comparison to the original and i've had it on repeat four weeks i love it number three m and k correct now, M&EK is a black gay artist from the UK, and he's amazing. The song reminds me of a pop version of I Like It by Cardi B, but something I can listen to, because I like the production on that song, but Cardi B's flow ruins it legit every single time. Number two, M&EK, Girlfriend. You starting to see a theme? Are you seeing it? All right, well, it's going to continue. So this is the song that put me on M&EK after I spent like three years purposely sleeping on him. Not quite sure what's going on with me and all these home wrecking songs in my playlist, but I love the early, the early 2000s pop sound on the record. Again, never thought I'd be nostalgic for early 2000s music. Not sure if that means I'm getting old or not, but it's a good song. I love it. Um, And number one, M&EK Tongue. This song fucked me up up and i honestly need my ass beat for sleeping on him for so long the vocals the production the beat the breakdown in the chorus that i didn't like when i first heard it like a year ago it's about it's everything and his album language is also super amazing minus one song maybe minus two songs but i can get through that song minus one song the album is good and the album has like 12 other full songs not including the interludes so one song out of 12 is saying something also 
while I continue to light stand for MNEK, I want to say thank fucking you for M- thank you to MNEK for making bridges a staple in your songs. I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes, um, you don't have to go back and listen. I care about you too much for that. Um, that I hate how lazy songs are nowadays with not having bridges and instead going for the chorus going from the chorus into a refrain of the pre-chorus and then back into the chorus and then instead of having bridges they have the chorus repeated but as a climax i love that his bridges were included i love that his bridges included new musical ideas and and shifts that lead smoothly into the climax of the song they were actually the best parts of the songs nine times out of ten so shout out to m and if you haven't given him his album a listen if you didn't know who he was definitely give him a listen definitely get on that he's everything i live for him i've been listening to his album front to back for like weeks now it's bomb um and if you want to hear any of the other songs listed on the top five playlist like always the links and the song names will be included in the description tab if you're listening on spotify or on any outside um, platform other than anchor the links are the links are clickable so go ahead treat yourself bless yourself culture yourself you swine all right let's move on Alrighty, y'all, we're going to go ahead and get into our very first segment, which is going to be thank you, I love you, fuck you. Um, I actually don't have too much to get into for this segment, so we might just do some quick sightseeing and be right on our way, in and out. Um, So to start, I want to say thank you to the fine-ass, tall-ass nigga who works in the same building as me and always does like a quick nod um, and speaks and holds the door open for me whenever he sees me, like... I that nigga is so fine like I I feel like it's written in the stars at this point it's destined and he does it every single time I see him every single time and there's been so many times that I've had to stop myself from being like like you know we don't have to keep playing these games like any anybody else whose third eye wasn't open um who can't read between the lines would have probably just seen this as like a kind gesture I can though I can read between the lines and what the truth is is that you're obviously in love with me. And that's okay. The question, however, the follow-up to that, is when are you going to let me hold the door open so that you can walk into my life? Like, y'all know that tall niggas are my weakness, and, and this nigga is like six seven. He's like a black baby giraffe, and he's fine. He's so fine. And then what are, they, like, tall and black and fine, what other boxes there to check off? Like, I, well, like, Besides, like maybe like personality stuff, but who cares about that? Like nobody worries about that until like divorce. It's fine. Anyway, sir, thank you for being so courteous um, and such a gentleman while also being so fine at the same time. I love a man that can multitask. Um, I want to say I love you to Japanese band Orisama who keep releasing bop after bop after musical bop. Their most recent release, Open the Worlds, is such a good, upbeat, catchy song, and I love it. I legit, I scream like a full-blooded bitch when I heard the opening piano melody, and I feel like it's something that would really fit perfectly in a Bayonetta game, and if you've ever played a Bayonetta game and heard, like, the battle music or the boss battle music, then you know what it sounds like. It fits so well i love y'all and i'm ready for a new album whenever y'all are ready um and now the fuck yous now i don't have many this week honestly a lot of the stuff that could have been fuck yous were low-key petty or superficial so i just left them for pet peeve so the first fuck you goes out to natasha tines 
who is an author in Washington, D.C., who felt the need to step out of her lane and take public transit right into someone else's business, right into their lane. So Natasha is on the train early morning going to work, I assume. I don't know. Um, She comes across a black woman eating on the train. The woman also happens to be a worker for the train line. Um, Natasha attempted to reprimand the worker for eating while in uniform and according to her was promptly told to mind her business which is honestly what should have been the first thought in her own head before even speaking let me just mind my damn business Um, so after the encounter instead of leaving it alone and heeding the warning that this woman was so gracious to give her she then takes this woman's picture while she's eating and posts it on her twitter with the caption when you're on a morning commute and see a at WMATA employee in uniform, uniform is in all caps. So homegirl was displeased eating on the train. I thought we were not allowed to eat on the train. This is unacceptable. She also, uh, <laughs> I couldn't break my voice. Couldn't break character. <laughs> she also tagged the transit line in the tweet. And they did respond saying that they would look into it and needed additional information. Whoop de whoop womp womp. Um, so this woman could essentially end up fired for this. Now, after she posted this, it got the complete opposite effect of the Good Samaritan Act that she obviously thought it was. So people dragged her up and down, left and right of the internet for exposing this woman. And not even necessarily being mad about her eating on the train, but more so being mad about the fact that she didn't comply to her saying that she shouldn't be eating on the train. First of all, like my good sis said, mind your fucking business. Like, me eating my McGriddle on the train, well... Do they even make McGriddles anymore? Like, high key, real question. Do they make McGriddles anymore? Does anybody eat at McFake food anymore? It, that's something else. I digress. Um, Me eating my McGriddle or my Pop-Tart or my what the fuck ever at 6 a.m. is not going to cause the train schedule to delay. It's not going to cause it to change. It's not going to make the train stop. It's not going to forcibly eject you from the train, though in this case, I wish it would have. Like, there's not going to there's not gonna be any issue because I decided to partake in a cookie dough Pop-Tart on the train. And while I've never eaten on the train or a bus because I prefer to eat in the comfort of my home and I don't want people on the train, like, I don't want them asking me for some of nothing that I have. As someone who has had an hour long, hour and a half long, two hour long commute super early in the morning or super late in the afternoon via the bus or the train, I understand the feeling of just wanting to get any food in you while you have the time available. And this is likely the only time that this worker had available to eat. This is probably what she was doing. And like I said before, you minding all the business God has currently blessed you with wouldn't have resulted in violence. It's not like this woman was throwing her food at the train window, at the train windows or painting her name and marinara sauce on the seats or insulting your whack ass mac and cheese because you use craft slices on the top. She was literally just eating and her eating, like I said before, wasn't even what upset this woman. It was the fact that she had the nerve to sass her instead of immediately complying with someone who ain't even her coworker, let alone her supervisor. Needless to say, Natasha's Twitter is now private, of course, and the tweet has been deleted, but it's too little too late at this point. Natasha had, keyword, important phrase, had a book set to release June 11th titled They Called Me Wyatt. I feel like the appropriate reworking of the title should be They Called It Canceled. Um, Because at this point in time, the distribution network that she was working with to release the book, they released a statement saying how awful what she did was and how they're basically trying to cancel the release of the book. 
Like, well, I don't know what else to say. Honestly, it's, it's what she deserves. The best things in life are free and minding your business is free 99, 365 days a year. It's never on sale because it's always free to just mind your damn business. I don't feel bad for her. I hope her distribution company drops her. I hope her publisher drops her if she has one. I hope her editor quits without notice. And I hope she's forced to self-publish books on Amazon and that people pirate them off the internet and still don't read them. Especially with you being a woman of color, because I thought she was just a white woman, and writing about the experience in your books, and yet you still sliced out the time to be ignorant. Child, swallow an exercise ball. Um, anyway, quick fuck you also to Danny Baker who was a previous, keywords are important in this episode, a previous writer for the BBC who posted a meme of two humans and a chimp in a suit and a hat and captioned it, the royal baby leaving the hospital. If you don't know, um, I do not know their names. I think, is it Prince Harry and and Meghan Markle? Mark, you know who they are. Um the duchess and the prince of something in the across the way them they recently announced um and revealed the royal baby that was born maybe a few weeks ago and they revealed him for the first time his name and pictures of him and video to the public and so i'm assuming that this previous writer for the bbc caught wind of it um according to him he didn't know that the baby was mixed race and the semi-apology that he gave, uh, it seems somewhat sincere, but it still fuck him. Like, Meghan Markle, I don't know why I had the easiest time remembering her name now. Meghan Markle is very racially ambiguous, and I could kind of see how someone may think she's not black. But coming off of the black-ass royal wedding they had where they did everything but bake a pecan pie and start playing spades at the ceremony and where the whole country and possibly the world have been talking about Meghan being the first black princess, I find it very hard to believe that he just didn't know this at all. So needless to say, he got fired from his job from the BBC. Um, so that's satisfying. And lastly, um, fuck you to YouTube continuing to play these motherfucking games with me and these damn ads y'all really think y'all are slick huh like like for like for real that's what y'all think and i like i get it i get it money but at the same time bitch there's no reason there's no reason for there to be an ad before the video even starts and then ads during the video and then ads after the video like not even a new ad playing on a new video but a new ad at the end of the same video that's already finished i've had so many times recently where i've had a playlist going at work and a song ends and the ad starts and i'm thinking that it's the ad to the next video only to have it in and hear another ad start for the new video now am i a slightly entitled bitch who wants the majority of things for free most things for free Absolutely. Like most people. However, like, bitch, I, I get it to an extent, business and money and all that stuff. Like I, I, I get it. And I try to be a good sport about it. I could be like some people out here with ad blockers. I'm out here giving the YouTubers their money and their coin because I get it. However, I just, it's, and it's not even like a large grievance. Cause I click out of that shit 
with the quickness, especially when y'all say I can skip an ad in five seconds, even though it'll sit on the three second countdown for five more seconds, you hoes aren't slick. Um, at the least, at the least, take the ad out at the end of the video. It's overkill. And at that point, I'm not even gonna wait to skip it. I'm gonna just close the video or force close the whole app if I'm that annoyed. So make your money, YouTube, but also fuck you because I feel like it's overkill advertising. But also make your money because you're a large platform. But also bitch fuck you for the unskippable ads that take away my American right to choose. Just like bitch ass Alabama deciding to take women's rights to choose to end a pregnancy. Now, I don't have like notes on this, so I'm going to try my best. Bear with me. Essentially, Alabama um, passed a law that would effectively ban abortions in the state. I don't think that it's currently active, so abortions are still legal for the time being. But come like January of 2020, so next year, um, abortions would be illegal in the state. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so this has basically caused a flurry online because a lot of people are feeling unsafe and feeling like they're being targeted specifically. And a lot of women, a lot of my friends who are women have felt really scared and powerless because I don't understand and they don't understand how the government is able to get involved in such an individual an individual decision involving an individual and their individual body. And it still doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it, and I feel like the way that this country is growing is going. It's really scary. Um, it's low-key depressing, and it's upsetting. And it doesn't make any sense because Alabama is such a shit state. Like, of all the things that you could be worrying about, why are you worrying about abortion? I feel like abortion is like a moot factor in like the various discussion of things that Alabama could be talking about. Talk about how you're 49th out of 50 states in the United States. Talk about how Mississippi, which is also a trash ass state, is ahead of you in state ra state ranking. Talk about how you're literally almost last in every single ranking that you can think of except for like fiscal responsibility, I think. I think Alabama's like 46th and 50th in like healthcare 50th in education, um, 45th in economy. It's just last in everything. Talk about how people are constantly, the, the young people in your communities are constantly leaving Alabama for other cities, more progressive cities, because it's just a trash ass place. I feel like stuff like that should be addressed instead of worrying about something like abortion that's literally affecting nobody but the person that's having the abortion. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. And every day, it seems like every other day, some dumb shit is happening. That's just making me feel like, wow, this is really the society that we live in. Like me and my mother, we used to joke a whole lot all the time about this exodus fund that we were going to have for if we needed to just up and leave the United States one day. We said we were going to buy our passports. We were going to have a joint account. We were just going to save money in it. And if we had to just dip the fuck out of the United States because it got too crazy, then that's what we were going to do. And it used to be like a really funny joke between us, but also kind of sort of serious. Now it's not even funny anymore. It's like, it's like real life serious. Like I might, I might really consider doing that because at this point, if they're signing laws into legislation that could affect white women, who are supposed to be up on the totem pole when it comes to things like this, if they're not concerned with how things are going to affect white women, then you know for damn sure they don't care about how anything's going to affect black people, black women, um, the LGBT community. It, it's basically all downhill from here. 
I don't like how it looks and I haven't been liking how it looks and I'm not a woman, but I'm still scared and it's, it's just hurtful and it's just ignorant. And I don't understand it. So fuck you, Alabama. And it's going to be fuck you indefinitely. Um, but I think that's going to do it for thank you. I love you. Fuck you. Let's go ahead and move on. Alrighty, y'all, we're going to go ahead and hop right into our very next segment, which has quickly become one of my favorites on the show. It's Pet Peeves. Um, Now, it's been a minute since the last episode, so I have more than a few, but we'll try to make it concise. Or not. It depends on how I feel. Y'all might just get a long episode. Um, If God wills it, you'll live. Anyway, pet pet peeve number one on the list today. People clicking off my Snapchat story, my Instagram story, or my Facebook story midway. More so Facebook and Instagram because I barely post on Snapchat. Um, It is one of the most annoying things to me to go back to see who has all watched my story on whatever I've decided to post it on. And to see seven people watch the first story and then to see every story after that. With only six people showing. Because someone's bitch ass decided to click out of it. And to an extent, okay, whatever. Maybe you clicked the story on accident and didn't want to watch it. Oh, well. Too bad, girl. You're already watching it. Don't throw my numbers off and low-key trigger my OCD tendencies. Because you don't want to watch three 10-second stories. I've clicked on people's stories um, accidentally several times. And unless I straight up hate that bitch, I'm usually like, all right, well, let me just go. Let me just click through these real quick. So I show up in all of them. But that's because I carry myself as that of a person who was born in a hospital, surrounded by love and care, and not in the backseat of my mother's Altima. That's what I give. I'm also not a whack-ass, hating-ass bitch. That's just how I feel. I think it's rude. I think it's unnecessary. Just click through the stories. Act with some class for the first time in your tacky-ass life. That's all I'm saying. Appreciate you. Um, Number two, inconsistency. Now, I feel like I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but I enjoy reruns. So here we are yet again. Now, while I may be a flaky ass bitch in regards to outings and doing just about anything social or in public in general. um, Besides that, I like to think that I serve consistency frequently on the menu. It's a house special. Um, I don't switch up on the random, not usually anyway, um, and definitely not frequently. And I say this as someone who is high key emotional as hell, whose mood changes at the drop of a dime. You're likely going to get one set vibe from me unless something happens. That being said, don't come to me romantically, platonically, or in any way, shape or form. If you're unsure of how you feel about me or if how you want to treat or acknowledge me wavers from day to day, I'm good. I promise I will be all right. Because as someone who is high key emotional, like I said before, and someone who overanalyzes everything, the last thing that I need is one more thing or person to flip 500 scenarios around in my head, wondering whether or not you like me, whether or not we're cool, whether why you've suddenly fallen back um, communication wise. Just leave me alone. Just leave me be otherwise, because 10 times out of 10, I'm going to give you the same energy back that you give me because you don't deserve more than that. I'm going to end up giving you no energy at all. I'm going to end up ignoring the hell out of you, pretending like you don't exist. And if anything, niggas hate that even more. So just leave me alone. Like, I'm good. I'm good on friends. I'm on an indefinite fast from these niggas. So I'm temporarily good on that too. Um, Spoiler alert, dating has been put on hold because dating apps are exhausting. Moving on. Number three. 
people not saying thank you when I hold the door open for them. And I will legit never understand this ever in my life. It's almost as rude as people seeing you a half foot behind them and still letting the door close on you, sir or madam. I'm taking seconds away from my life that I will never get back, putting stress on my arms and body to support this door and keep it open for you out of the sheer kindness of my heart to make sure that one, you're not injured by the door and two, that you make it safely into the building and to your location. I'm showing you the compassion that your parents obviously never did. Therefore, also never installing basic gratitude in your source code. So here you are walking in quietly behind me like you open the door yourself. Now, if I was to snatch you by the collar of your shirt, and sling you back out into the outside elements and say, try it by yourself this time, some would say that that's aggressive, excessive, dramatic even. Perhaps. I'm just tired of you bitches thinking saying thank you is going to get you jumped. I know you should know. I know you know you should say it. And yeah, you do nice things to be a nice person, not to receive thanks or gratitude. Uh-huh, yeah, whoop-de-whoop, -whoop, all of that. All I'm saying is, it's only so many times that I'm going to be given free samples of kindness before I'm going to expect people to start parting their lips with some form of acknowledgement that lets me know that me deciding not to let this door close or me deciding not to grab the handle behind me and pull it closed in a show of complete maturity is appreciated. That's all I'm saying. Um, Number four inquiring about my business um something else that i've mentioned on the show before now like i've said i am very introverted and shy and private i keep my business close by i like it where i can see it at all times i keep it to myself meaning don't inquire about my business um don't inquire about my business don't inquire about business that you don't have security um clearance to be accessing in the first place especially if we're not super cool close or whatever anything like that an example one of my work friends very sweet girl very nice and one of the people that i'm actually cool with in my job asked me about my pay after my promotion and asked oh you know so you must be making like a thousand dollars per paycheck now right now, I don't know if people casually offer up information like this or or not, because one, I don't be talking or conversing with people like that to know what they do. And two, I don't tell my business. No way. So this took me aback and I tried to clean up my response. And I basically said, you know, I I I'm not sure knowing damn well. I know how much I make. Um, Maybe somewhere around that. I don't you know, you're actually you're actually swerving way out of your lane right now. Let's maybe talk about something else. And she laughed, even though I was very serious and was like, OMG, <laughs> you, you're so secretive. And I was like, no, not secretive. That's just that's just my business. What are you going to do with that information? And that's basically what it is. That's what it comes down to. Why do you even care? I don't know how much your salary is or your hourly wage, but I know I don't need to see your pay stubs to know that your job isn't paying you enough to worry about your business and mine. So don't even add the extra stress. Worry about yourself. I swear it's way more fun. Um, and number five on the list, last but certainly not least, um, this is actually very important and it's a particularly sharp and annoying thorn in my side as of late. People thinking that I don't stand Kota Kumi anymore or saying I barely talk about her. 
Now, if you don't know, which you likely don't, Kodakumi is a J-pop singer active in Japan who also happens to be my favorite artist of all time and my ultimate fave. She spearheaded my interest in J-pop and Japanese culture, which then led me into the Japanese language, which eventually led me down the dark hole that I'm still currently inhabiting, which is K-pop. She is the source. Everything flows from her and back to her. However, I don't talk about Kodakumi quite as much as I used to whenever I was younger. Um, I got into her when I was a teenager, so I was very, very infatuated with her. Most people have pointed out how I talk about Mariah Carey more, another legendary, iconic fave. Um, and while this might be an accurate observation, it's still aggravating because of the type of fan that I am. Now, I'll give you a timeline. Kodakumi debuted in December of 2006. I got into her a little bit later in her career, around her peak. I got into her in 2006, which was also the same year that I got into J-pop. And I have been a fan ever since. I love Mariah Carey down. I stand for her. Digest a whole lot of her content. She's everything. And while I've listened to her passively almost my entire life, I've only become a fan, low-key stan of hers within like the last four years or so. I've been a fan of Kodakumi's for 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. Bitch, of course I don't bring her up in every conversation like I used to because I'm tired. I've been standing for a long ass time. Do you know how much of a stand I used to be? I used to be able to tell you which album era an interview was from just from her hairstyle. I used to know the chronological release dates and the order of all of her singles and studio albums and tour DVDs. She had like 50 singles and six albums and like six tours at the time. I used to be able to tell you their release based on the date. I could tell you the description of the cover art, all of that. I bought every single last studio album that this woman has ever released, minus the last four because the bitch has been broke. But you know what? Even with those four, I've gone two years without listening to them because I refuse to listen until I purchase them because I am a fan. I am a fan first. I've listened to every single last one of her singles. I've heard damn near every hidden B-side on the singles. I've heard all of her damn best of albums full of songs that I already know and have already heard. I follow her on every single social media platform that I have. All of them. All of them. I know damn near all the choreography for her dance songs that have them. Actually, actually, because y'all done pissed me off now. And this podcast is now secondary to what I'm about to mention. I want you to go on to YouTube, type in Kodakumi, type in crazy for you dance version and replace the four F-O-R with the number four. So crazy, the number four, you Kodakumi dance version and skip to 2.42, two minutes and 42 seconds in. I'm not playing with you. I will be here. Pause the podcast. You back? You saw that? That's what I was out here doing at 14 years old. That's why I got bad knees now. That's what this woman has inspired in me. If my friends don't know nothing about anything else about me, they know that I love Kodakumi. Some of my friends don't even know who she is really, but they follow her on Facebook or on some other social media um, platforms because of me. So don't open your mouth to question my love and stand up for this woman because I have put in my work. I have put in my time. 
and I have paid my dues and I have worked hard. You ever bought a compilation album full of ballads that you already heard just to get unreleased dance versions of your favorite music videos? No? You haven't? I have. You ever bought tour DVDs from your fave for like $50 to $60? No? I have. You ever bought five studio albums from your fave at one time while also not having a job as a 14-year-old and listen to them in order of release date? No? I did. I did. Like, y'all really don't understand how much I love this woman. The time I have invested into her and her career. I'm currently trying to save and make plans to travel to Japan and see her for her 20th anniversary concert that I know she's going to have. And the thought of seeing her live makes me emotional. It makes me tear up. I get hella, hella emotional. And I already know when I get my ticket that I'm going to be crying in the taxi ride there. And then I'm going to be crying in line to get to the venue. And then once I'm in the venue, I'm going to be crying in the line to get tickets for merch. I'm going to be crying once I get to my seat. And then bitch, once the lights go down, I'm going to be bawling. I'm going to be inconsolable. And I'm going to get my life and I'm going to cry and dance. And when I leave, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry on the ride back to my hotel. And then I'm going to cry on the elevator going to my room. And then I'm going to cry in the shower thinking about what I just experienced. That is how much I love and stand for this woman. And don't you ever fix your crooked, slack-jaw-ass mouth to ever inquire or question otherwise. Woo, all right. That was slightly aggressive. Um, Well, that's going to be it for Pet Peeves. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Alrighty, let's go ahead and hop into some gaming news with 16-Bit Madness. Um, surprisingly, I usually don't have too much to talk about this segment, but I actually have more than a few topics to talk about. So let's hop into it. Um, to start, Days Gone, which is an action-adventure-slash-survival-horror zombie game released a little under a month ago. It might be a month at this point. Um, and honestly, the only reason I'm mentioning it is because I'm a petty bitch who doesn't like people who like things. Um, before Days Gone came out, there was a real hype train around it, and even comparisons calling it The Next Last of Us. Personally, I wasn't awed by the gameplay. Um, I saw a pre-release and I never saw the hype around it. Then again, I am the same person that played The Last of Us and I don't see it as a masterpiece. I don't see it as this huge marvel of gaming that a large mass of gamers lot it to be. It was a good game though. So as far as that, maybe I was just automatically set up to not care for it. Um, so far though, it's sold well. But the reviews for it have been mixed. Probably never going to play the game. Um, don't know why I mentioned this. Moving on. Mortal Kombat 11 released a little over a month ago as well. And it looks good. It actually looks really good. The graphics look nice. Um, I love that they're keeping with the added story elements mixed in with the regular 2D fighting style. And my fave, Jay, is in the mix. So I'm automatically interested. Um, however, despite all that, it's still just Mortal Kombat. Like it, and don't get me wrong, that's fine. I like Mortal Kombat, but I guess what I mean is there's nothing interesting in there's nothing interesting in Mortal Kombat 11 that has me compelled to buy it, um, or had me compelled to buy it day one, or hell, even day 31. Honestly, like when it gets that hot price slash, I may reveal myself in the room, but until then, nothing is really gripping me about the game. I wish that they had added something similar to Conquest from Mortal Kombat Deception. Now, it might not have been everybody's favorite, but I loved like 
the semi-attempt at an open-world concept in Mortal Kombat while also keeping the fighting elements and adding more bits of story and dialogue into the mix. It was different, and it's an idea that I wish Mortal Kombat had explored more. I also really enjoyed being able to just punch random niggas in the face, like anywhere and everywhere. That was my favorite. Um, But who knows? Mortal Kombat 11 might turn out to be a game of the year... um, Game of the Year material is what I'm trying to say. I can't talk. Um, when I play it next year. Um, so Nintendo released like a 30-minute video from their Nintendo Direct event on their official YouTube in regards to one of their upcoming first-party games, which is Super Mario Maker 2. Now, I really don't know what's going on with me in regards to having sudden peaked interest in games I legit had no prior interest in, but surprise, here I am, interested, invested, inquisitive. Um, If you don't know, Super Mario Maker 2 is a side-scrolling platformer that serves as the sequel to the very first Super Mario Maker and features Nintendo's CEO and brand ambassador, brand ambassador, (laughs) brand ambassador, Brent Mario. It features that nigga. Um, the main draw of the game is that you can build your own Mario levels, kind of like building things in Minecraft, but with Mario levels. Um, and then you can try to complete your own levels or place them online for other players to attempt to complete. Um, now, I used to watch videos of people playing the original Super Mario Maker, but I was never compelled to, one, buy that game, or two, play that game. I've never been interested in games that have a building aspect because it is not a selling point to me. I don't get excited thinking about building my own tram system or my own super hard Mario level with bullet bills everywhere. I'm not that type of creative. All of that just sounds draining and arduous with little to no benefit. I don't like to build. I like to destroy. And I know I'm gay and I'm mild-mannered and soft-spoken, but if you factory reset all of that and get right down to my core, the very essence of me, I'm still very much a nigga. I like to blow shit up. And that's all I do in video games like that. That's my role. My sister and I, um, my sisters and I, we all play video games and we each have our own individual roles. My older sister is good with puzzles and brain teaser things. My younger sister is good with games that call for like a tactical pro approach. And she's a good even mix between me and my sister. Um, and then I fight niggas. Literally, that's what I do. I fight niggas. I'm the muscle. If they're stuck on like a boss battle um, or something like that, I hop in and I beat niggas up. That's how it works since I, since forever. <laughs> so when Nintendo announced this, I was like, you know, hard pass, hard pass right off the field, girl. I'm not interested. Um, but this 30 minute video, it actually changed my mind. Granted, I'm still not building one goddamn level, but being the child of the 90s that I am, I do enjoy platformers. I still need to buy the Crash remaster. Um, and it looks like a good game. But the main draw is that you can experience the levels with friends via multiplayer. Adding multiplayer to any game automatically gives a game a point of interest to me. And the online competitive mode looks really fun and it almost looks like a good mini game or what a good mini game in Super Mario Party could have looked like if Nintendo actually gave a damn about that game past October 10th of 2018. The game came out October 5th, 2018, but I digress. The game looks interesting. And depending on what else I see 
before the release next month in June. Nintendo very well may get my money. We'll see. Um, next, I want to talk about a game that came out a little over a month ago that's also garnered my attention out of nowhere and that I actually spent my money on. So the name of the game is World War Z, and it's a cooperative third-person shooter based on the zombie film and book of the same name. Now, when this game was originally announced last year, I think, from the little bit I saw, I had absolutely no interest. The places looked uninspired. The gameplay looked boring. The graphics looked whack. The, um, the gaming mechanics looked whack. It just looked tired and very budget restricted. Um, I saw one child, I saw one trailer and straight wrote it off my taxes. Um, a few weeks before the game release, I suddenly started seeing gameplay videos in my YouTube feed for it. And it was almost like watching a brand new game. Like it looked more polished, which I guess as a finished product, it would. Um, and it looked way more engaging. It also looked a lot like Left 4 Dead, which is honestly the only reason it's on my PS4 right now, if I'm being real. Like the audio at the beginning of the levels with the sweeping camera views of the area, um, the special infected, which I'll talk about later because they are pointless, um, the way the health packs look, um, it's, it's very similar. Now, the game does have like a few interesting jaw draws of its own. Um, I know that it's not like a triple A game. So the price started at $40, which we appreciate. The class system, which allows players to like pick from six different classes and they use a range of like different weapons and secondary items and stuff was a nice perk, even though there doesn't seem to be like much differentiation between them for just from playing. Um, the attempt at dialogue and little small story elements was appreciated and something Left 4 Dead kind of sort of lacked unless you read through the comic series. It mostly made up for it with light banter and dialogue between the um, between the characters as you move through the, le the actual levels. But there wasn't a whole lot story wise. Um, what else? What else can I think of? The Swarm which is just a giant pool of hundreds of zombies on the screen at the same time is still pretty cool to see. And it hasn't gotten old yet, even if it does cause frame rate slowdowns for me from time to time. Um, the heavy weapons are a cool addition and the crossbow is the best gun in the game. I don't care what anyone has to say about it. Um, but honestly, other than the swarm, I can't think of any characteristics that stand out that would make me say yes. This is very World War Z-ish if I saw it in like a different game. And there's a lot of stuff that could be improved. The game didn't launch with much to play for one. Um, there's four different campaigns in four different cities, which all map out at about an hour long, depending on the difficulty setting, which gives you about four hours of gameplay for $40. And while I get the draw of the game or the draw of games like this is supposed to be the replay value and being able to go back and play at these higher levels and play with friends because they're so short and upgrade, especially with the class levels, upgrade your level, upgrade your class, upgrade your weapons. I get that, but also no, just no, like there's nothing compelling to make you want to replay the levels. The New York and the, Jerus the Jerusalem campaign were boring. The multiplayer is trash, and I only had to play it once time, one time to know. Um, I'm probably not going to play it again. 
The game is a month out post-release and is still crashing on my PS4 every time I play it. Um, the class system, like I said, was a nice addition. It's cute. But like I mentioned, they don't play distinctive enough roles in the game to where it really matters which one you pick. There's no there's no necessary point right now. Um, there's no fucking split screen multiplayer, which is honestly one of the most annoying things about not just this game, but just current online multiplayer in general. That's the main reason I bought this damn game. I thought I was going to relive Left 4 Dead with current or last gen graphics with my sisters since it's a co-op game, only to get burned yet again when I found out it's online co-op only. And I know the only reason you bitches do this is because you know that if I had split screen or local co-op, wouldn't nobody need no goddamn PS Plus membership to play online. I'd play offline with my sisters or my friends and I would never get online ever. Y'all did split screen all through the 90s and the 2000s, so I know I'm getting off topic, but fuck y'all. Um, most importantly, the special infected are trash. They're uninspired ripoffs and they don't inspire any actual sense of fear or anxiety anxiety in me at all. Left 4 Dead had a horde with hella zombies too, but the main draw and what made the game so iconic was the special infected, along with several other things like the little audio cues for the horde. There was like a horn that went off that alerted you to the horde coming and like the sounds of their screams. Each special infected had their own audio cue, some type of sound. Um... I just all these various things, but I, I really don't have time to stand for Left 4 Dead like I want to. Fuck you, Valve, for resigning us to never have Left 4 Dead 3. Suck on a dusty cow udder. There's absolutely no reason for you not to release it. Um, But there was like five special infected in Left 4 Dead, and their main goal was to separate you from survivors or bring the horde down on you. It was anxiety causing. In World War Z, the jumper or the creeper, or whatever they call it, is a hunter ripoff, and he's more annoying than scary. The bull is a ripoff of the charger and is only slightly anxiety-inducing, and the screamer is more annoying than scary. Actually, he's not even, uh, he's just annoying, mostly because he's always way across the fucking map in an exaggerated attempt to separate someone from your group. Now, I don't, oh gosh, even though I sound very critical of the game, that's not to say that it's a bad one. Because it's not. It's, you know, uh, it's actually growing on me the more I play it. However, I'm going to need the developers to add more content in, more special infected. I would like for them to maybe define the special infected that are in it to make them better. <laughs> um and more defining factors that make me feel like I'm playing World War Z and not a Left 4 Dead fan game. Um, and to wrap this segment up, because this is easily the longest 16-bit madness I've ever done, unless I, I may be wrong. There may be one that's longer than this. Anyway. At the beginning of the month, um, Square Enix released a teaser trailer for the urban legend known as Final Fantasy VII Remake. Now, did I excitedly click the trailer? Yes. Was I enamored with the, gam the gameplay shown in the trailer? Absolutely. Did I also roll my eyes in frustration and disbelief several times? Bitch, of course I did. At this point, I'm approaching Final Fantasy VII Remake with the same attitude I had towards Kingdom Hearts 3 until it was like, 
a week away from release. I'm not believing it. I'm I'm not treating it as if it's a real game um, until I have a release date or until I hear the game has gone gold, which means that it's been finalized and it's being put onto disc or online. Um, either that or hearing a release date and it being one week away from that release date with no news of delay. Um, otherwise, I'm not getting emotionally attached to any more Square titles. Y'all announced this game three years ago, and we've heard next to nothing, which is on code, honestly. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not something, a varied response from y'all. It's just annoying because hype is nice and it's a great marketing tool, but it can also work in reverse and bury a game. There's nothing wrong with waiting until you have more developed and more to show before you display a game. I don't want to see development footage that's probably going to give an inflated view of the game, but not even make it into the final game. And I know this is probably the case for 80% of what they showed in this trailer, because all it reminded me of was the fluid movement and combat that I got from the Final Fantasy 13 trailer and the Final Fantasy 15 trailer. And neither of those games played like the trailers or included the footage from those trailers. And it was very disappointing especially in 13's case. I was very upset about that. Um, but I guess this is Square Enix attempting to like make good on Tetsuya Nomura's promise that all of their resources would be shifted to Final Fantasy VII once Kingdom Hearts III finally released. Um, probably their attempt to be like, well, you know, bitch, the game is still here. It's still very much a thing. Please be excited. I'm just I'm just going to take any news related to it at this point with a grain of salt and not be bothered. Capcom showed that you can capture nostalgia and new ideas in a good way with Resident Evil 2 remake. So I hope this square doesn't drop the ball with this because they stand to make a lot of money. The Final Fantasy 7 Banshee fans have been screaming about this game for like a decade. Also, while we're on it, Barry doesn't look black anymore in the trailers and i have a problem with that now granted barrett he's one of the main protagonists in the game and he is far 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 from my favorite character in final fantasy 7 he's basically a walking stereotype loud aggressive vulgar all that um also slightly off topic um but still on topic i find it the slightest bit shady that Every black Final Fantasy character, minus Vivi from Final Fantasy Nine. I don't care what you have to say. Um, I know Vivi doesn't have a face, but his eyes are surrounded by blackness. Therefore, he's black. Um, and his name is Daquan in my save file for Final Fantasy Nine. So he's black. Um, and I guess maybe you could include Fran from Final Fantasy Twelve because she's really, really tan. Um, and she uses a bow and arrow, but she's a bunny race. So I don't know if she's black. Um. But every other black character in Final Fantasy, um, the Final Fantasy series has had a gun as their primary character, their primary weapon. I don't know how I feel about that. Both um, Barrett and Saws had guns. And it's also low key crazy to think that it's been 30 years since Final Fantasy released and there's only been two black characters and they're both men. Um, but I digress. We're way off from the point in the trailer. Barrett basically looks like a middle-aged white man with a deep tan or some really good evenly spread bronzer. Um, he doesn't look black. He has a 25-year-old um, frat fuckboy hairstyle with straightened hair when even with not so great graphics in 1997, anyone can tell that he had an afro in the original. And 
Honestly, all of this is nitpicking, but Barrett is the first black mainline character in the Final Fantasy series. So he's iconic by default. And like I said, even if he's not necessarily my favorite character, even if he is kind of sort of a stereotype and slightly problematic, I do have a soft spot for him and I don't want his depiction to essentially get lost in the sauce and have whatever done to it. But luckily, since it was development footage, maybe we'll see updates to his character model. But given how they had him looking like a mixed Brazilian in Advent Children, a fine mixed Brazilian nonetheless, um, I don't think so. Either way, I'm excited yet ambivalent towards the game. Square is getting no more dedicated emotional investment from me. Um, but I'm hoping the development cycle is not 12 years and that the game is good. Um, but I think... I don't know. We'll see. We'll just have to see. So I think that does it for 16-bit madness. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Um, also, Sony, drop that PS5 price. Thanks. All right. Now we'll be right back. Alrighty, y'all, we are fast approaching the end of the show. We're going to go ahead and get into our last segment, which is going to be talking points. Um, so we're only going to touch on a few things. A lot has happened, but I don't have the same amount of time or care to match up with the amount of things that have happened. So it's going to be more of a snapshot than a full on like picture. I'm not talking about all that. So um to start, we haven't had a, a lot of or any new Mariah Carey news in a long ass time. So I don't want to hear anybody fix their snapper to complain. I don't want to hear anybody like keep your jaw locked. I don't want you to even make the motion to begin to move your jaw downwards to separate your lips to complain because it's been a long time. It's been a long ass time. Um, so my fave Mariah Carey was honored with the Billboard Icon Award at the Billboard Music Awards at the beginning of May. Um, and honestly, it's about damn time. Like Mariah is almost 30 years into her career. Um, I think it's going to be 30 next year. It's 29 in like May or something like that. And or it may have just been 29. So because it is May. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and granted, 30 years isn't like 40, 50, 60 years, like most people that get these tributes. Um, but I still feel like she should have had at least one or two more awards like this with all that she's accomplished in music and way more tributes than she's gotten besides the one from BET. Um, but hopefully in the next few decades, if she's still active, that'll change because she's still out here um, slaying vocally. I don't know what that was. Um, while we're on the Billboard Music Awards, I want to touch briefly, briefly, like touch and go on the whole Blueberry Greek Yogurt Cella incident. So Taylor Swift performed her new single, Me, that I do not care about YouTube. Stop including it, the whole fucking video in ads because I'm not going to watch it. She performed it at the Billboard Music Awards um, with Brendan Uri from Panic at the Disco. Um, now, there was a lot of scrutiny around her performance, especially the beginning, which featured a marching band and pink uniforms with pink drums and a lack of rhythm, similar to the marching band they used at Beyonce's iconic homecoming performance at Beach now once the band was on stage taylor came out from the back and she struck a pose with the back lighting it was basically lighting her from the back and only showing like a silhouette of her which is very much a beyonce thing very reminiscent of beyonce now she's not the only person that's probably ever done this but i'm positive that she's popularized it um so needless to say the beehive was not having it they went into full sting mode um there was a lot 
of criticism. There was so much criticism that Taylor turned off comments for her Instagram posts that showed a bit of the performance, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Um, now, what I'll say is this. The pose, the backlighting, and the outfit were very similar to Beyonce. And it is no surprise that Beyonce inspires all the girls. She's, she's Beyonce. She's iconic. She's inspirational. However... That's the end of the comparison for me. And y'all honestly did the most at full speed with this. And while I understand the magnitude of what Beyonce did, bringing the spirit of HBCUs um, and blackness to Coachella, Beyonce did not create the concept of marching bands. And literally, other than the marching band and the pose, nothing else in her performance was even remotely similar to Beyonce's. And on top of that, I'm pissed because I had to actually watch a full Taylor Swift performance to make sure that they weren't similar. So I'm mad at y'all. That aside, this really was a non-issue to me, especially considering how much crap Beyonce got early on in her career um, about being inspired by and lifting from or being just straight up accused of stealing from other artists. I would think that Beyonce, I would think that the Beehive, I'm sorry, would be more decisive about what and who they flip out on as stealing. But I, I guess, I don't know. Um, real quick segue, though. Dion Warwick, legendary singer, um, doesn't believe that Beyonce is an icon. I don't necessarily know how I feel about this. I have conflicting feelings like I do with most things because most things lie in kind of like a gray area. Um, I feel like her terminology is wrong in all respect. I think the word that she's looking for is legend. Now, Beyonce is absolutely a legend in the making, but not one right now, in my opinion. However... To say she's not an icon is just dumb, considering how much Beyonce has influenced both music and live performances in just the last decade. We're not even talking about her entire career, just the last 10 years. Even we could we could even possibly maybe say just the last five to six years. So to me, she definitely is an icon. And I, how do I want to go with this? Performance wise. She's literally one of the greatest ever, period. There's no discussion. There's nothing that needs to be said about that. Musically, I don't think so. To me, Beyonce has only just now gotten into her true artistry and started making what I would consider possibly timeless music within like the last seven or eight years or so. Other than like Crazy in Love, Single Ladies, I would say Irreplaceable and maybe Halo, nobody knows Beyonce's music catalog like that other than B stands. Um and a lot of her songs don't have the appeal to me to touch multiple generations. Cause I know uh I'm trying to think of artists that when you hear them you have other you have one generation that hears it and then you have people sort of in my generation that also know it and then you also have people in the upcoming generation Z that also know about it. I think of like Celine Dion. I think of Whitney Houston because people may not know her entire discography, but people at least know I will always um I will always love you. They know maybe not I want to dance with somebody, but they may know I'm every woman. People think Mariah Carey. Everybody knows all I want for Christmas is you. Young, old, um, in between. A lot of people know emotions. Timeless music like that. I don't necessarily know if Beyonce has that that reaches all different types of generations like that to me. Um, and I know because I decided to say that there's a lot of B stands that are going to want to burn me at the stake with don't hurt yourself playing in the background. Calm yourselves. 
does not change the fact that Beyonce is an icon and has left a large footprint on the music industry. Not disputable. So I argue with certain things Miss Warwick said, but I also disagree with quite a bit too. Um, also, I need people to not be dumb and say things like, if I have to Google your discography, are you really an icon or a legend or what the fuck is she or who the fuck is she and why is she talking? Now, I may not agree with a lot of what Dionne Warwick said, but if anyone is in a position to speak on something like that, I'd say it's someone who's been in the music industry as long as her. And yeah, there's a lot of older, bitter ass, hating ass singers and musicians who talk down on younger musicians out of jealousy and spite. But I didn't receive what she said from that place. Also, your ignorance towards a singer's catalog or their influence on music or the generations to follow after theirs and having to Google them doesn't invalidate their legendary or icon status or remove the mark that they made on music. I don't know nothing about a lot of people that are um, widely received as legends or icons or have had a footprint on music. I don't know a whole lot or nothing about Elton John other than Rocket Man, and that's because of Family Guy. But I know he was a pioneer in music in his time, and he sold hella records, and he's getting a movie made about him. Just because I don't know about his ass doesn't mean that he's not a legend. So don't try to invalidate her legend status because you don't like what she said. That's ignorant. Um, moving on. I was going to talk about Aisha, um, Aisha, Aisha Curry. I was going to talk about that girl but and her very human display of emotion on the Red Table Talk, which still got on my nerves because I find her annoying. But I don't care anymore. So we're moving on into the last story for this segment. Actually, the Dionne Warwick one was the last topic for this story, for this segment, because I also don't care about this last story either. I'm going to talk about it briefly. Um, I was going to talk about the whole James Charles, Tati Westbrook, um, and Jeffree Star situation, um, also known as the Snake Pit um, debacle. But it honestly is too much drama with too many overarching stories for me to devote to currently. And on top of that, it's old. So I don't, it doesn't even matter. I'll say this though. I don't like nor trust any of them. I think James Charles has said some dumbass stuff in the past and is just annoying in general, but was also oddly engaging in his receipt video. And I do feel kind of bad for all the hate that he got. And I was glad that I didn't participate online in that. Though I did watch the live streams of his subscriber count going down, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, Tati Westbrook is a snake. And I had in the back of my mind... um, while the I had it in the back of my mind the whole time I was watching her original video, the by sister exposed video. Um, so James has been this awful, arrogant, white, gay R. Kelly the whole time y'all have been friends, and you were complicit with it up until he promoted another brand. And you put that on camera. And you're still friends with problematic ass, messy ass, racist ass Jeffree Star. All right. I guess. And Jeffree Star, I've never liked. He still looks like he did on MySpace circa 2008, just with money now. And he's still the same narcissistic, messy ass person. Um, he looks like the guy, the nigga who hosted, what was it? Tales from the Crypt. That's what he looks like, but with foundation. Um, and that's how I feel about him, basically. I'm going to continue to be grateful that I am a level one gay and that I never have any reason to seek out any gurus in the beauty community, beauty community, let alone the white ones, because goodness. Um, but that's going to do it for talking points. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the show now. y'all 
it's that time again we have reached the end of the show i want to thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of reckless digest and i mean that for real like i don't think i mentioned it in the icebreaker portion but earlier this month um i had considered not doing the podcast anymore like work had effectively taken over my life for a hot minute and I felt like that's all I was devoting my time to I felt like that's all I had time to devote to and as the time span between now and my last episode got further apart I was getting real depressed um and upset and just thinking that I couldn't keep up or that you know I wasn't going to be able to be consistent in some way or another but having people reach out and asking where the episode was having people listening to old episodes of all things um and seeing my listens passively going passively going up which has never happened before um really lifted my spirits and motivated me to get on things make time and get this episode pushed out so thank y'all again um other than that i really am planning on taking more time for creative outlets and things that i enjoy in the future i feel like it's good for my mental health um as much as i want to be financially stable and not broke i also don't want to be consistently depressed i don't want to be depressed but paid um so i'm gonna have to try to figure something out i'm gonna try to start writing more um i plan on pulling my piano out of my closet after not playing four years at this point um youtube is hopefully around the corner look out for that Um, i'm really trying to knock this weight off um beforehand also strongly considering japanese lessons um we'll see how that goes um and other than that just really trying to like soak in the good in my life i'm the type of person where i'm always anxious i'm always bracing for the impact of the worst either things are bad or they're about to get bad and that's been my mentality for a long long time but things have been good lately and i'm almost afraid to say it out loud i was actually laying down earlier thinking about things and i thought to myself things are things are going great right now and like literally a second later i immediately changed it to you know what things are good right now things are okay they could be better but things are all right almost as if i expected life to just fuck stuff up immediately like right then and there um and coincidentally i don't know why i said coincidentally coincidentally um right after that i came across a tweet by a woman named Brittany packnett or miss pack at miss at miss pack yeti on twitter i'm struggling um I have no idea who this woman is or what she does but her tweet ended up on my feed at patrick coda if you want to follow me on twitter um and it says i don't know who needs to hear this but things are going well in your life right now um and that doesn't mean the difficulty is around the corner no the other shoe is not about to drop and shit is not about to hit the fan things are good that's it you deserve let it in and i just had to exhale deep because i felt that and i needed it because that's what i'm used to never having a second to breathe sitting in goodness just to be followed up by bad it's happened every year since i've been here and most of my life so to think that a year ago i was crying on the phone to my mother in the ralph's parking lot because low-key i live in ralph's um about how i'd have all these new bills once i turned 26 and how i couldn't afford them and how i was making 11 dollars an hour at this new job that i liked but didn't want to pay me enough and how i didn't think i was going to make it to now being able to pay for everything and just be in a space of comfortability and being able to live I almost cannot fathom it like you really don't understand so I'm going to try harder to live 
operate in the good. And when the bad comes, I'll deal with it. Um, then, you know, and I'll move on. I'll work through it. I specialize in that. That's what I do. But I deserve some good. The season of hurt feelings really is upon us. And I can feel it in me. I don't know about Shaw, but I can feel it in me. It's about to be some people real angry, upset, and bothered with me. And that's just going to be what it's going to be. I'm not turning my light down this time. But at this point, actually for this whole closing, I've just been rambling. So thank you again for listening. Um, like I said before, if you want to follow me on social media, I should be Patrick Cota on everything. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-K-K-O-T-A. Um, until next time, fuck that nigga and fuck his friends and fuck his bitch. Bye.